Podcast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So, folks, after a brief foray into the world of seances and spiritualism with Shannon Taggart, Tim Swartz and I are back to UFOs again. Now, I was going to ask you, Tim, before we go introduce Michael Schratt, our guest this week. Mm-hmm. In terms of mediums and things like that, we have tried over 16 years of the Paracast to get someone to come on and quote-unquote demonstrate their alleged abilities, and we have not been very lucky. I mean, we had a couple of people on who claimed to have abilities, and they tried to analyze me and maybe a co-host or two, and I never saw anything compelling. Do you know of any mediums we can bring on? Ah, <laughs> uh, boy. You know, there's uh, um, Tim Beckley's uh, uh, friend, uh, uh, Maria, who is is pretty good, but you know she's more of a psychic rather than a medium who claims to you know talk to spirits. I don't know, you know. I mean, it just it's just to me, it's always iffy when you try to bring somebody who claims to you know speak to the spirit world and and bring them on air and 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 try to get them to perform on cue. It just that's one of the things about the uh, the whole world of the paranormal is that it and you know I, I guess you see it also in uh, the UFOs as well is that nothing ever wants to. Perform perform on cue, which naturally is going to uh, uh, evoke s- suspicion. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of people who claim to be, you know, number one, you know, masters at uh, speaking to the spirits. But then when uh, they're, you know, brought onto the table, they just never quite seem to uh, perform as well as they say that they can. Well, we keep the invitation open. If a uh... Medium wants to come on the Powercast and prove to us that what powers they claim to have are real. We're happy to give them a chance. Let's talk to Michael Schratt, who is not a medium, unless there's something about your past, Michael, you're not telling us. <laughs> okay. You specialize in exposing government fraud, waste, and abuse, it says here. And I want to ask you how you got involved in that and how you have time to do anything else, because just doing that would require about 2,000 people working 24 hours a day. Interesting. Well, I am authorized to discuss my historical UFO cases, and so that, that's what I'm going to be doing today. So you can't tell us about the other stuff? In a way, I could, but uh, I, I have to stick to my historical cases. That's going to be the best thing for me, yes. Uh, that's going to be the best approach for me today, yes. Are there security issues involved? Um, slightly, but, uh, if I stick to my historical cases, that's going to be the best thing for me. Very well. Okay. How did you come to write this book and choose which cases to represent? Sure. I can answer that. Well, living in Chicagoland area, uh, put me within range of QFOS. I'm sure you know where that was. So that was 2457 West Peterson Avenue in Chicago. And they had pretty much the largest private collection of UFO cases in the world at the time. And uh, just being within range gave me the opportunity, with Mark Rodiger's approval, to literally go through all 60,000 cases. It took three years to do it. And uh, this was what I call the the real-world boots-on-the-ground research. This is not a an internet search 
type operation. This is a real thing where you have to go in, you set an, an appointment, you pull out the file drawers, and then you start going through manila folders by the thousands. And the criteria that I used was anything that had a sketch drawing illustration, a three-page report, and a flight path report, I would pull those files. And then from that point, I do a SOLIDWORKS model of it, 3D rendering, do an AutoCAD, and then try to make the case come alive. And if, if it was a very sophisticated biological looking craft, I'd commission the artwork. And so the goal was to maintain an important part of our national history by the use of full color illustrations to make the cases come alive. And that's how I got it going on it. It's interesting some of the sources that come in here. And I know early on you mentioned Otto Bender and you mentioned him as a writer from Chicago, but I assume you know his full background, do you? I know uh, a part of his background. I can't say I know his full background. Okay, well, he was a sci-fi writer. Mm -hmm. That's right. And he wrote continuity for a number of comic books, like, for example, the early predecessor to the character Shazam, when it was known as Captain Marvel in the early days before that changed. And he wrote the text for the comic books, including one with a character called Scorpion, that eventually was made into a movie in 1941 called The Adventures of Captain Marvel, the character being Scorpion. In 1959, he co-created something for DC Comics called The Legion of Superheroes and the character Supergirl, Otto Binder. But he was interested for many, many years, as you know, in UFOs. Let's go on here on these case selections and maybe tell us about a few of them. Okay, so basically I kind of like to start out with uh, just giving people an idea of where I got this information. I want them to be able to verify this on their own so that they can use the scientific principle and get the same results that I did. Uh, so just rip through these real quick. Source material was QFOS. We talked about that. NICAP, APRO, MUFON, which is now at Lunkin Airport in Cincinnati. Invisible Residence by Ivan T. Sanderson. Uninvited Guests, Richard Hall. David Marler UFO Research Collection, UFO Newspaper Clipping Service, Wendell Stevens Collection, Leonard Stringfield Collection, Gray Barker UFO Collection, that's Clarksburg, West Virginia, and then just good old-fashioned boots-on-the-ground research, uh, going to university archives all around the country where people had papers and donations of boxes of material that had been sitting there for 40 years where you had to make an appointment, pull the boxes, wear the white gloves, the whole thing. That, that's real-world research. And so that is the source material for some of the cases that we'll be going over. Now, I'll kick this off here. Date is February 3rd, 1983, and people can kind of just follow along in their mind's eye and use their imagination. It's, it's almost as effective. So this lady's driving down the road. It's about 9 p.m. She's in Mobile, Alabama, on her way home. And uh, she hears this large and loud boom, just a huge boom. Her car starts shaking. She pulls off to the side of the road. She looks under the vehicle. She thought the transmission fell out. That was okay. She got back into the driver's uh, side, closed the door, started going about another half mile down the road. And off to the right, there was a clearing and there was a lighted area, and she, within this lighted area was this massive 210-foot-long craft. It was 80 feet tall. It kind of looked like a circular orbit up in the front part and then tapered back like a wedding cake as you go further aft in the back of the craft. Now, she said that 
the whole thing had these porthole windows on it, and she could look through these porthole windows all the way through the craft to the other side where there were other porthole windows on the other side. And she said what it reminded her of was kind of a shipping manufacturing yard somewhere on the East Coast where they were laying the keel and then they were putting in the bulkheads. That's exactly what the interior of this craft looked like. And then she said the outer part of the skin of the craft had literally thousands of rivets on it, like the same rivets you'd see on the Golden Gate Bridge. That's what this thing looked like. Now, on the very top, there was a transparent section that had kind of a one-third wraparound area, and then beneath whatever with these might be glass pane windows were these five foot ten humanoid looking beings. They were wearing a one-piece tight-fitting flight suit. They looked like they were moving around in this antiseptically sterile environment. Now, just under that portion, there was another clear transparent section. And then they had a whole series of these large transparent porthole windows. Below those, there's what what she called a sandbox, a six-foot-by-six-foot sandbox. And then protruding out of the sandbox were these about three-foot diameter pipes that were four-foot in length. We have Michael Schratt, author of Dark Files, A Pictorial History of Lost, Forgotten, and Obscure UFO Encounters, Book One. Our guest co-host is Tim Swartzer in The Paracast. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. If you love them enough to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music. Ah, this is Mommy's Jam. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Bye. 
Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Hey folks, Tom D. for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, ghosts, zombies, UFOs, crop circles, and more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you, people who seek a little more than the other dating services offer. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and you want to connect with others, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. So many people want to share their experiences with the paranormal, the afterlife, the unusual, and this is the place to meet and share common interests with those of like minds. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com. That's ParanormalDate.com. Use the code word GEORGE and start meeting others. Get going now and connect with someone you like. Seven million children suffer from asthma more than any other chronic disease. Most asthma attacks are caused by allergic reactions to allergens, including those left behind by cockroaches and mice. In fact, 82% of U.S. households contain mouse allergens, and cockroaches are found in up to 98% of urban homes. How can you protect your family? Find out at PestWorld.org. A message from the National Pest Management Association and the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. We return to Michael Schratt. He's talking about a really fascinating encounter that involved... Strange Occupants. This is from 1983. Let's go on. Okay, so just below these cylindrical devices, there was a door closing from right to left. And on the far left-hand portion of this opening where this door was closing, she said that there was a wall that had tubes, pipes, and cylinders on it, similar to what we hear about on the January 5th, 2000 so the Illinois Triangle case where on the bottom understructure of the craft, there were tubes, pipes, and cylinders on that too. So that's one thing to keep in mind when you look at some of these cases. The detail that the witnesses are describing matches up on a lot of these craft, but they're at different locations with different uh, witnesses. Now, below all of this, there were two transparent gondolas with the same five foot ten looking humanoid beings with the one-piece flight suit. And then on the top part of these transparent gondolas, there were literally hundreds of 12-inch by 12-inch highly polished mirror-reflective devices that were in the form of a cross. And that's pretty much what this particular craft looked like. Now, there were beaming spotlights that were shining above the craft itself, and then the whole thing moved off to the west and then disappeared behind some trees. Again, this is February 3rd, 1983, Mobile, Alabama. The reference for this just so people know, is the April Bulletin, Volume 32, Number 2, 1984, so people can read this entire report for themselves. Now, one more thing to mention. APRO, the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, which was run by the late Coral and Jim Lorenzen, had a lot of occupant cases. That was really what they specialized in. And they had a lot of really interesting research over the years. The sad story, of course, is that 
their stuff now is being held in file cabinets by someone who won't let other researchers get them. I know, for example, one of your sources, David Marler, who was on the Paracast two weeks ago, has been among the people trying to get a hold of those records. Okay, this is obviously a pretty fascinating case, and I know you've got a bunch of others you want to emphasize. But when you refer to them as lost or forgotten, is that because they weren't followed up or because there wasn't a lot of publicity? When you go through the file cabinets at QFOS, the manila folders were packed so tightly that you could not put a razor blade between each manila folder. And when I pulled out these cases, like from 1972, I know for a fact that had never even seen the light of day. It It was never published. It was not in IUR. They never publish it at QFOS, which means it's never been seen. So that's what I mean by lost and forgotten. When you were at QFOS, mm-hmm. going through these files, right. uh, was there anybody else there? I mean, you know, the impression that I get is that you've been one of the only uh, people to actually go through these files. It's very interesting you mention that because out of the years that I went through there, there was not one other person that took advantage of the collection, not one. Now, they had people that were associated with QFOS there, like Mark was there. He had to be there because he had to open up the office. And sometimes there was one other person there, but they were internal to QFOS. They weren't like total investigators. They were within QFOS. So not one other person took advantage of the library. And to this day, I don't know why. it, It was like an unused opportunity. There was nobody else there. And it's a mystery. It's a mystery to this day. How difficult uh, would it have been for somebody to, you know, contact the organization and say, hey, I'd like to uh, do some research on your files? It was no problem at all. I would just email Mark a day before. And when I got the OK from him, I just met him the next day. So it was anybody could have done it. Anybody could have done it. But I don't know. I mean, it, it took a lot of work to do it. I mean, you literally had to go through all these files. So you, you had to have a passion for this. This this can't be for the faint of heart. You have to be like obsessed with this. This has to be a crusade in order to, to get to that level of this. So maybe that's what deterred other people. Uh, yep, they, they definitely had things in there that I know for a fact had never been seen. It was never followed up. It was never published. And so I thought, wow, We've got all these old dead cases. Let's make these things come alive. Let's get them out of the 50s and 60s. Let's make brand new illustrations, full color. Let's commission the artwork and make them come alive. That was the whole point of it all. Now, point of order, the case in Sicaro, New Mexico from April 24th, 1964, that has received quite a bit of publicity. It has. Sure. And also there was a recent book from Kevin D. Randall where he goes back to all of the evidence and reevaluates everything. So I can't consider that lost or obscure. Well, not that one, but there there are others that are, though. So, yeah. Sure. There are, there are some more famous cases there. That's true. But there's a lot that aren't. Yeah, I wanted to just look at a couple of things also that caught my attention as I'm looking over the contents of the book and reading through it. And that is you go back as far as... 1796. And for those who think the UFO mystery began with Kenneth Arnold in 1947, it's fascinating to know that there are other cases to be explored. Is this something you found buried in one of those file folders? Where we kind of open this up is uh, Otto Binder published Our Space Age from 1965 to 1969, where it was almost completely 
UFO cases that were sent in. So there were some reference works that dated back way early. Those cases, a lot of those come from the auto binder collection that was basically in the Gray Barker collection in Clarksburg, West Virginia. That's where I got that information. Okay, tell us more about this particular case, because I want to see how the description lines up with current cases. Okay, so do you want to move on to the next case in the, in the list? I'd like to go to this one, the one in 1796. <laughs> okay, let me go over here. Uh, let's see here. Okay, so just again, this is an auto binder case. And just to set the background here, when he published these in the 60s, uh, people that read them, they sent in cases from all around the world, and they were multiple time frames, multiple locations. Uh, it certainly predates Kenneth Arnold's sighting. And one of these, and, and there were references for these, and I'm just going to read this word for word. October 12, 1796, on Columbus Day over 170 years ago, Canadian observers reported an astonishing fleet of airships, UFOs, with portholes and visible occupants sailing over the Bay of Fundy from the Pacific Stars and Stripes, courtesy K. Larson. So that's the source for it. So th this predates practically everything we know about ufology. Uh, Way before Kenneth Arnold, way before December um, 17th, 1903 at uh, Kitty Hawk with the Wright brothers. We're talking pre-flight here. So someone or something is flying these in 1796. This is what really is fascinating, these old cases, to see how they relate to current ones. Obviously, the problem with it is, we all realize, being it's so old... What can you do other than report the anecdotal That's correct. report? It's just That's not correct. something you can follow up on. And this is true about a lot of the cases that you have there, That's but it's right. nonetheless fascinating. And I want maybe we can go to one more before we get into more current cases. And we're going to do a break here. So we've got Michael Schratt. We're looking at a book of his called Dark Files. Okay, it's a dark book with white type on a black background also. With Gene and Tim, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. What if you could cut your heating bills this winter with your existing wood-burning fireplace and not spend thousands doing it? You can with Great Wall of Fire Fireplace Grates. Our U.S. patented, made-in-America Wall of Fire Grates increase fireplace efficiency, eliminate fireplace smoke problems, and come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. See our grates in action and get free shipping from walloffire.com or call 800-274-7364. Fireplace heat without fireplace smoke. Walloffire.com. Frustrated trying to get business capital? Want to take the slow process and rejection out of the equation? GCNloans.com removes the slow, irritating approval process. Instead, get quick, simple funding. Powered by David Allen Capital, 80% of our pre-qualified clients are approved in days. Pre-qualify at GCNloans.com and get your money this week. It's that easy. GCNloans.com. That's GCNloans.com. USA Radio News with Kenneth Burns. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz and French President Emmanuel Macron was on the phone with their Russian counterpart Vladimir Putin for more than an hour, pushing for an immediate ceasefire. But a French official says Putin did not show a willingness to end the war. 
Scholz and Macron echoed a statement from Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, who said negotiations must begin with a suspension of hostilities. Zelensky, during a briefing, said negotiating teams had now started discussing concrete topics as opposed to trading ultimatums. He said about 1,300 Ukrainian troops had been killed since Russia invaded his country. He also said the conflict meant some small Ukrainian towns no longer exist. The Texas Supreme Court stopped the last challenge to the state's law that practically banned abortions in the Lone Star State. The Dow finished its fifth straight week with losses, losing more than 200 points Friday. This is USA Radio News. An Ohio police officer has been cleared of criminal wrongdoing in the shooting of a teenager. 16-year-old Makia Bryant was shot and killed by Columbus police officer Nicholas Reardon as she swung a knife at a young woman. Police were responding to a call to Bryant's foster home about a group of girls threatening to stab other housemates. The killing has led to a Justice Department review of the Columbus Police Department. Children trying to enter the United States will no longer be denied a chance to seek asylum. The change from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention was announced late Friday. It said that expulsion of unaccompanied non-citizen children is not warranted to protect public health. The change comes ahead of a court order that would have allowed the Biden administration to expel unaccompanied children seeking asylum under Title 42, which was introduced in March of 2020 in the early days of the pandemic. Singer Tracy Braxton has died. The 50-year-old had been fighting esophageal cancer. You're listening to USA Radio News. Stop aging now. Restore those joints. Boost your strength. Because it's official. Nutramedical has released the most exciting, powerful anti-aging supplement on the market. Dr. Bill Deagle's Red Deer Velvet DR has been approved by the U.S. Patent Office. Imagine stem cell rejuvenation all in one capsule without huge expense. Dr. Bill MD discovered that as an unborn baby grows in the mother's womb, he or she does not deteriorate or physically age. Red Deer Velvet DR, like the uterus, provides 300 biomolecules and six hormones protected in one special DR capsule that delivers lipid packages directly into your circulation. This patented technology bypasses the stomach and is released into the small bowel unaltered by digestive enzymes and stomach acid. Remember, Red Deer Velvet DR. Improve endurance, stimulate your immune system, increase learning ability, and even improve sexual libido with Red Deer Velvet DR. Click NutriMedical.com. That's N-U-T-R-I Medical.com. Or call toll-free 888-212-8871 and get on the road to a newer, rejuvenated, happier you. Hi, it's Grant Cameron from PresidentialUFO.com. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Michael, as you see, Tim is the man of 27 and a half voices. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he will give you some over the period. Sure, now, that's fine. Now, I wanted to get into a couple of other older cases Sure. Before we get into more modern stuff, do you have something you'd like to talk about first? Yeah. Sure. We can go on to the next auto binder case here. Now, this is July 1868. Villagers in Campagio, Chile, were frightened by a giant armor-plated machine covered with steel scales whose twin searchlight eyes stabbed down brilliantly. Well, that's interesting because if you talk about the 1897 mystery airship wave, they had very similar strange wing-shaped craft with these beaming spotlights come down. So there's a historical precedence for that that even predates the 1897 mystery airship wave. Now, I'm looking at the picture that is made here. Is this something that you had drawn based on the description? Well, 
I had the original uh, case from the auto binder report within the Gray Barker collection, and then I commissioned my friend Tom Bogan to use that as a guide and then create a full color rendering, and that's what you see. Mm -hmm. Now, when you look at this picture here, yep, we're seeing here something that looks modern and is not probably in some respects dissimilar from the Kenneth Arnold sighting, the way it's the wings are shaped. It's kind of it kind of looks like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it does. That is fascinating because you'd think looking at this that you're watching something in a sci-fi mo- movie, not something that people saw and reported in the 19th century. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, but what's interesting though is there are literally thousands of newspaper clippings that really lock in the 1897 mystery airship wave. I mean, and we can go over it later if you want, but literally thousands of eyewitnesses describing these beaming spotlights. In some cases, anchors were lowered from these things. They had these big black dogs on the deck of the craft. They had uh, the quote-unquote pilots were very well-dressed, eccentric inventor types wearing a, a black suit and a black top hat. In some cases, letters inside envelopes were dropped from these craft to be picked up by people below. That all happened. That's all been documented. When you look at that, and then you've got the 1868 here, I'm just thinking, could we be looking at a very early man-made technology here? And that it certainly appears to be the case when you further go into 1897 Mystery Airship Wave. Now, you mentioned one person we also know here on the Paracast, Walter Bosley. who's made a point of the fact that this is something that's an Earth-made development. And the interesting fact about it is that the airships in general weren't that much ahead of the dirigibles and other aircraft that we developed later on. So it could have been, I suppose, something that was a prototype. On the other hand, we should also bear in mind that some of the newspapers of that era were not averse to making up stories to sell papers. That's true, too. The other thing to keep in mind is the reference works by Charles Delshaw talked about how one of the engineers figured out how to create something called NB gas, and they said, quote, they figured out how to negate gravity. This is back in 1897, so they were already working on that, so it could have been somewhere in maybe the, I could say, er early 1880s maybe early 1890s, before they really started going. So someone figured out something. Now, that's via Charles Delshaw. If they were able to do that, difficult to say. But some of these were going against the wind at like 80 miles an hour. So they must have figured out something. But the secret to the NB gas died with the engineer. Yeah, there were uh, cases all across the uh, country that's uh, correct. From, that's that, correct. from that period here in Indiana, I mean, there were newspaper reports from Terre Haute and Fort Wayne and uh, I think some other cities. You know, it, it seems like the wave started in the West and then uh, uh, traveled That's to exactly the uh, East and South. That's exactly correct. So, yeah, the idea, I think, of a, uh, as it's been referred to, a, a breakaway civilization that, you know, you have a group of, of engineers who have, may have discovered some uh, a new form of, of technology as far back as the middle 19th century, there seems to be some kind of indications uh, that this is a possibility because, as Gene pointed out, 
it always seems like that the uh, technology on uh, these UAPs just seem to be just a little bit ahead of our own. So yeah, I mean it's 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 something that uh, you know I, uh, rather than being you know technology from say another country you know a foreign adversary right. that we're we're dealing with uh, you know a technology that's earthbound but not associated with any known government. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now I wanted to ask you about the case that's kind of next in your book here, okay. from July thirtieth, nineteen oh nine, okay. where it's like a flying boat. Yes, yes. I know the one you're talking about, right. Uh, Here we have, I don't know about the pronunciation here, Wakaka Valley, New Zealand, men aboard a dredge reported a boat-shaped UFO that circled all around with two human-like figures visible inside. Credit Tony Brunt. So 1909, after the Wright brothers, we've got a triangular-shaped craft with a, you could call it a transparent crew compartment in the front. Back in 1909, no visible means of propulsion. Doesn't look like there's any flight controls, no wings, uh, no tail fins. Someone's building this, 1909. Uh, Linda Zimmerman, when she gives her lectures, she talks about a, a similar time frame with similar type craft. Well, what's interesting to me is that a lot of these early cases describing not gray aliens, but yes. substantially human-like Exactly. Beings, which is interesting because you think, well, is this part of cultural phenomenon or are they in some cases inventions Mm -hmm. from people here on Earth? But then maybe the description we're hearing doesn't reflect that reality because of the inconsistencies. And of course, we're asking people here in 1909 people who are seafaring men, as they say, trying to interpret what is a scientific phenomenon. Exactly. That's exactly correct. I think they they described it the best way they could. Now, the interpretation of what that means in a drawing, there's going to be some discrepancy there, but at least we have something, and I felt it's important to salvage all these and bring them to light. Uh, It's just... I felt it was really good information. And there are hundreds of these type cases within the Autobinder collection. I'm talking like 300 of these. And you can spend an entire weekend just reading through all these. And yes, I, I admit there probably is hoaxes in here. Probably, you know, you have 300, 400, you're going to have some far out cases that don't make any sense that are probably hoaxes that people just sent in. But as a whole, if you look at this objectively as a whole, I don't think you can discount all these cases. What is interesting to me is the fact that in the UFO field, we tend, not me necessarily, but we tend to focus on the cultural legends or myths like Roswell, for example. Rendlesham, for example, although you do mention Cash Landrum, which is not talked about quite as often. But we're so heavily focused on a few cases that may have problems in and of themselves that we don't get to all this wealth of information. The fact that over the years, there are so many thousands of reports, as you say, buried in these archives. And part of the problem also, I think you'd agree with me, Michael, is that none of these organizations had large staffs with which to... You got that right. You got that right. With which to... They did not have large staff. You're right about that. You know, we're talking about the Lorenzans and 
a few researchers who volunteered. NICAP was never very large, and NICAP, I think, was more emphasizing Major Kehoe's desire to lobby the government to investigate mm-hmm. UFOs as opposed to actually investigating anything, which is unfortunate, although Richard Hall, of course, did some interesting work. We have Michael Schratt talk about his book covering cases that aren't getting legendary or myth-making status in Dark Files. With Gene and Tim, you're in The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. SilverLungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at SilverLungs.com. That's SilverLungs.com. Are you afraid to go to the mailbox because of letter after letter from the IRS? Are they stacking on more and more penalties and interest? By now, you know the problem won't go away on its own. Don't let the IRS chase you to your grave with penalties and interest and liens and levies. You need real help now. I'm Dan Pilla. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I help thousands of people solve tax problems they thought couldn't be solved. I can help you too. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com. danpilla.com. Tahibo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system. And it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit shopsupertea.com. The first word is shop, spelled S-H-O-P, then the word super, and then the word tea. The complete website is shopsupertea.com or call us at 818-984-6100 Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-984-6100. ShopSuperTea.com. I spend a lot of time in the garage. 
but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me. Your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Torme, screenwriter, producer. You're listening to Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Okay, he just came from Brooklyn, Tim Swartz. A man from Indiana pretends he's from Brooklyn. Michael Schratt joining us. The cover is fascinating here. The one that we see where you see the full moon in the background. Mm -hmm. And you see this large craft with numerous portals is that representing a specific sighting well that's the one we just covered at the very beginning yep so you're are you looking at the pdf or are you looking at the link to the book on amazon i'm looking at the pdf you're looking at the pdf okay because that's that's obsolete now this thing has gone full-blown publication on amazon as a soft cover i've already obsoleted that version and i've got the brand new version that's just been published, and it's got another 25 cases within it. There's 61 cases total, and it's up there now. So I completely redid the whole thing. Aha. Uh-huh. You're looking at an obsolete version, technically. So anyway, that's fine. Still got good information there. Well, that is the book that was sent to us. In any case, what particular cases, any important cases that I will not see from my copy here that you put in the book? Well, I think what we could do is, if you want to go through some of the more prevalent ones, they're, they're still a little bit vague, but they're in both versions. Do uh, you, you want to cover USS FDR? Sure, oh, go for it. Yeah, that's a good case. Yeah. All right, so background here. Chester Grzynski was the primary witness. He's no longer with us. He died about two years ago. So it's late 1958, Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. This has to do with this USS FDR aircraft carrier. And the FDR was the first aircraft carrier to carry nuclear weapons on board. It had this historical legacy of USO and UFO encounters. And that might be the reason why, with these nuclear weapons on board. So according to Chester Grzynski, who was there the day this happened, it's about 9 p.m. at night. There's commotion below decks. People are swearing. There's chaos. Men are screaming. They're running. They're trying to climb ladders to get up to the flight deck. And when they got there, they saw this orange-yellowish light approaching the aircraft carrier. And then it parked itself about 200 feet above the flight deck of the aircraft carrier with 25 naval personnel looking at this thing. It's hovering above the flight deck. And what it is, it's this 200-foot-long cigar-shaped craft that has these rectangular windows. In back of the windows, they said that they could see what looked like humanoid beings walking back and forth. Now, I have the original MUFON report here with his sketch. There's an enlargement 
that shows you what happened next. One of these beings kind of pressed his face against the glass and was looking at the naval personnel below. He lifted his hand above his head like he was waving to the men below. And what's interesting is Chester Grzynski, I actually called this guy on the phone. I spoke to him. And he said that they could feel the heat radiating off this craft onto their faces. So that qualifies this as a CE-2 and a CE-3. And then from that point, we took all the information from the newspaper clippings, because there's at least two newspaper articles about this that he's published in. There's two what's called flat-top newsletters that's specifically about aircraft carriers. So there's two of those. That's four right there, plus his five-page report and the report from MUFON. So there's essentially five sources for this. Put all that information together, and what you see on the cover of that PDF is the rendering that Tom Bogan did for me where you can see this craft hovering over the flight deck with the personnel looking at it. So this is late 1958 having to do with the USS FDR. Now, I would want to mention here, which people might want to know because they check on Amazon, they look at the reviews. Sure. You have four and a half out of five. Okay. Most reviews are five stars, and there's a single one-star review, which is not a review. It says, where's the book? They want to know when the book will be available as a real book. He's not interested in Kindle. That's the review. He never actually got the book, and I wonder why that's even included. That was before I published the softcover version. If that guy would go back and read his comment, he'll see that the electronic version has been discontinued and completely updated with the new version. Then you can't review something you haven't read. <laughs> well, he, no, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I see a lot of reviews uh, like that where it's pretty obvious to me that they didn't even read the book. <laughs> I won't name which books I'm referring to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, you've had plenty of books on there yourself, Tim. Mm-hmm. Well, there are people who review the Paracast on Apple. Okay. And they say that we are obsessed with left-wing politics. Now, as regular listeners know, we've done over 800 episodes of the Paracast. Over 16 years, plus several hundred of the After the Paracast premium podcast. And we don't talk about politics very much. And when we do... It's because of the fact that we've got government investigations of UFOs. And once you talk about the government, you enter the realm of politics. Mm, yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty <laughs> wacky. Welcome to the world of, of book writing, my friend. Let's go for another case. Let's go for... Sure. I, I just wanted to hit me here, and you can look it up. Tic Tac UAP encounter over Wycombe, Pennsylvania, March 67. The reason I mention that is because the current UFO investigation from the Pentagon is about Tic Tac UFOs from 2004. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, as you know, now that they've tried to rebrand UFOs as UAP, they're trying to make anything prior to 2004 disappear. But we've already covered at at least six cases now that predate all of that. So they can't make these historical cases disappear. They stand alone. They have paperwork to back it up. They have references. They have witnesses. And these cases, they won't go away. They won't die. They won't disappear. They're a part of the historical legacy. Well, that's important, too. There are tens of thousands of these cases. There are tens of thousands of them. That's right. All around the world. And a lot of these have similar type structure 
Uh, a lot of times you hear this low-frequency electrical humming noise associated with these craft. And then in many cases, they have prongs or protrusions sticking out of them, and there's this high-pitched drilling noise before they depart. That's something that happens multiple cases as well. Now, looking over the cases for this book, yeah, were there many you discarded because they were too sketchy or maybe could have been frauds? Uh, yeah. There was one case in particular that, to me, it's it's out there. Now, I've talked about it a couple times in lectures and presentations, but I'm hesitant to do it because it's just so outlandish. So, yeah, it's it's kind of unusual to get into some of the... But, the weird thing about it is it was referenced and there were like there was a 10 page report and there was a flight path report and it was published in newspaper articles. So uh, it's kind of a 50 50 shot on that one. Well, you know, it's worth mentioning anyway, because we like to cover everything in the field from a viewpoint of journalism. So if sure. this is a case that people should suspect because it's not holding up tell us what it is you want me to tell you what it is okay <laughs> well that's fine that's fine we can we can certainly do that yeah sometimes uh, the most outlandish cases seem to have the most legs i don't know i don't think it's that well known um it's it's talked about a little bit but it, it really didn't get too much coverage in ufology i think people thought that the credibility level was just not there but I, I still think it's, a, it's an interesting case. Uh, we can cover it if you want to. Sure, go um, ahead. We're going to have to break for, do our break in about a minute, but why don't you start the description, and we'll pick up on the other side. Okay. So essentially this has to do with two men who are driving down the road, and what happened next is a six-foot diameter dish-shaped craft basically parked itself right in front of their vehicle, and was like lockstep with the vehicle as the car is going 50 miles down the road, 50 miles an hour down the road. And they, whatever this craft was, had a bubble transparent canopy up front. And there were two small beings that were about three and a half feet tall. They had very aged grooved faces that looked like hamburger meat. That's the best way to describe it. Very strange. And they were wearing a one-piece, tight-fitting blue flight suit. They had a backpack onto their backs. And one of these beings, after this bubble transparent canopy tipped up, he flew out of the craft itself. He opened up the car door, okay? And the passenger and the driver moved off to the right while this being got behind the wheel and started driving the car another half mile down the road. I mean... Already, it's a crazy case. Uh, it didn't say in the report how he reached the pedals of the vehicle, like the gas and the brake. It didn't mention anything about that. Now, let's continue this case of E.T. stealing cars. On the correct. other side with Michael, Gene, and Tim, you're in the Paracast. <laughs> Visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. 
With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Now with orders to stay at home, public health concerns, the reality of illness due to pathogens and viruses, your health is at an all-time high risk. That's why it's critical to take a proactive approach to boost your immune system. You can with new nano-colloidal silver from AmeriCare. Our patented process with tiny silver particles, one one-hundredth the size of a red blood cell, allows for maximum body absorption. AmeriCare's nano-colloidal silver effectively disinfects your body internally, attacking pathogens and viruses while supercharging your immune system. Colloidal silver is antibacterial and antiviral. Simply put, it prohibits bacterial respiration, suffocating viral cells, preventing the virus from replicating. And now, due to public health concern, AmeriCare is authorized to offer our lowest and best price ever, around a dollar a day. But supplies are limited. Purchase nano-colloidal silver now at immunesupportnow.com. That's immunesupportnow.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Supplies are limited. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So E.T. enters this car and tries to steal it, tries to drive it. Go on. That's right. Carjacked it. That's correct. All right. So then what happened next? We're going to continue, right? Sure. Okay. Yeah, go for it. Yep. All right. So what happened next is whatever this creature was or being was, he started talking to the two men in the car in this high-pitched bird chirping noise that they couldn't figure out what he was saying. I mean, it was certainly no language that, that they knew of. The gentleman on the right started freaking out completely. He bust out of the passenger door and started running away. He said, you know what, I'm out of here. He was in panic state. He completely he completely lost it. By this time, the other one, the other being, he popped out of the uh, craft and started chasing this guy that just left the passenger door. About two minutes later, he came back, the being, went back into the craft. The other being who was driving the car, he went back into the craft. The bubble transparency canopy tipped down, and then this thing flew away. And this was reported in the newspaper clippings. So this is one of these cases within the QFOS archives. It's it's talked about a little bit. It's still obscure. And I thought, mm, it's stretching the level of credibility. But when you talk about this subject, all bets are off. We can't just discount it just because it's crazy, because uh, the police interviewed these two men. They weren't drinking. They weren't on drugs. There's a large report on this. There's a sketch on this. So I felt might as well at least cover it. 
And in some cases, uh, I've talked about this in, in a couple of lectures, but it does, to be honest, it does strain the credibility level. So, But it's still an interesting case. And it's actually never been proven it's a fake. I don't think it's ever been proven as a fake, but a lot of people questioned it. I can tell you that a lot of people questioned it because they thought that the two men were drinking. They were drunk, but the police report indicated that they weren't. So it's, it's kind of in their favor. It's still in their favor. After all this time, it's still in their favor. Yeah. It's one of these stories that, you know, you'd think that if somebody was going to hoax a report for whatever reason, especially when the police get involved, right. You know, you would think that they would go a little bit, you know, I mean, a little bit lower key rather than having their car, you know, carjacked by a little hamburger faced uh, men from a uh, from a UFO. I mean, to me, that that almost lends a bit of credibility to me, because why would somebody make up something quite that crazy? I know. I mean, when you hear about that, right off the bat, the giggle factor kicks in. But when you start looking at the case and the fact that the police got involved, they interviewed them the, the very same day, probably within the same hour. They weren't drinking. They, they were certainly not drunk. And so, yeah, it, it adds credibility to the case. Absolutely. There's another case in your book that uh, uh, probably was uh, right, right up there with um, – the ones that you know that that, that you like to talk about, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, this involved. And uh, let me find it uh, real quick. Um, the uh, we are now going to listen to the sound of scrolling through a file. <laughs> yeah, scroll, scroll, scroll. Well, I mean, it's 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 easy enough. I mean, it it involved a. Uh, uh, I think he was a was a, a an engineer at an air force base. That right. came across the uh, uh, a fish-shaped UFO across the highway. That's basically my favorite case within this whole book. I, it's, I a, really, it, it's a great case. I can see why it's your favorite. Oh, yeah. I, I love this case. Yeah, it's definitely my favorite Project Blue Book case. Now, we can go through this case. Uh, here's the sighting. This is basically the background here. It's March 23rd, 1966. This is Temple, Oklahoma. The primary, and this is a Project Blue Book case. This is not my case. This is the United States Air Force Project Blue Book case. It's got an index card, and this can be verified by uh, David Marler. He actually has the 15-page report. He's got a copy of the index card. The original sketch is there, too, so very well documented. So he's driving down the road. It's about 5.03 in the morning, March 23, 1966, Temple, Oklahoma. And uh, it's still a little bit dark. There's a slight bit of twilight because the sun's coming up, so there's a little bit of light, but it's still somewhat uh, gray and dark out. He's driving down the road, and all of a sudden, his headlights hit something that's basically parked perpendicular to the road. And it's been described, and you kind of mentioned it, this thing looks like a large bowling pin laying on the side. It's also been kind of described as a fish or perch-like device. And it's 75 feet long. It's about eight feet tall. It's talked about in the book here. I've got it referenced. The very beginning part of it at the forward end of the craft was a bubble transparent canopy that looked like it came from a World War II B-26 bomber. The whole thing was about three feet off the ground on these pogo landing gear legs. And then a little bit aft of the bubble transparent canopy, there were two beaming spotlights that were going straight down. 
Above them, there were spotlights pointing forward. And then just aft of the forward two landing gear legs, there was an air stair door. And standing next to the door was a man. He was wearing two-piece green military fatigues. He had a baseball cap with the bill turned up. He was shining a flashlight at the bottom of this air stairs door like he was in investigating something or checking on something. That's the impression by Eddie Laxon. Now, above him, there was a stinger or spire that tapered back and terminated into about an 8-inch diameter ball. Just after this stinger device, there was about a 3.5-foot diameter porthole window that was divided into four equal pie segments. Just after that were the letters, and this was extremely, extremely stressed in this report, written in black letters vertically, TL4768, written on the side of the craft. At the very end of this craft, there were two little flight controls that were way too small to be aerodynamically effective. That's what it looked like. Basically, had no visible means of propulsion. Now, when this man with the green two-piece military green fatigues, when he saw that he was being watched by Eddie Laxon, he climbed up this air stair door. He shut the door. Then, in the Project Blue Book file, it said there was a high-pitched drilling noise, like someone was starting something up, a high-pitched drilling noise. This thing hovered off the ground for about 50 feet, stood there for 30 seconds, and then departed like a spark on a grinding wheel. This is back in 1966. This is three years before Apollo 11 when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. Now, Eddie Laxon got back in the car. He drove another half mile down the road, and he came across a truck driver. The passenger side door was open, and the truck driver was standing on the running boards. And when Eddie Laxon drove up to him, he got out of his car, went up to the truck driver and said, are you okay? Uh, can I help you? And this driver described to Mr. Laxon the exact same craft that he had seen like a minute earlier. So we have two different sources that confirm this actually took place. And what was, uh, 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 how did uh, Project Blue Book uh, categorize this? Swamp gas? Uh, well, I can read you, I'll just read you what, what they're calling here. Uh, this case is carried as unidentified since after evaluation of all the available information, no concrete explanation is possible. Uh, note, second observer has not returned the requested Form 164. Now, I've got his original sketch. I'm looking at it right now, and it's extremely out of scale. I mean, I mean, he did the best he could, and that, that's perfectly fine. But if you look at the dimensions, this is all in the book, 75 feet across, 8 feet tall, He's way out of scale. So I spent a day going through all the reports on this and fixing this. And what's interesting, within the report, he said that this man carrying the flashlight, he had what looked like military insignia ranking insignias on his arms or like just above his elbow. That's what it looked like. When you see these naval admirals and they have these ranking symbols on their suit, that's exactly what he said that this guy looked like. We've so got more to come, by the way, with Michael Schratt. And we're looking at his pictorial book about cases that don't get the kind of emphasis we give Roswell. Dark Files. With Tim Swartz as our special guest co-host, I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in. The Pentecost. <laughs> Hey, listeners, 
I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. If you're like most Americans, you're pretty much in disbelief with what's going on in the world. As we all know, global problems are having local consequences. Too many of them. And if the peanut butter really hits the fan, are you ready? Grocery store supply chains are only as strong as their weakest link. Don't wait for them to break. Now's the time to secure emergency food for everyone in your family. My Patriot Supply is America's largest preparedness company. Our specially packaged and delicious food stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. It'll be there when you need it. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and pick up several emergency food kits. There are a dozen different sizes that average over 2,000 calories per day. Our food kits will ship quickly and discreetly to your door. Having food storage in your home beats government food lines hands down. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com today and prepare for what's coming. MyPatriotSupply.com As Dr. Wallach says, we all have nutrient deficiencies in our diets and must supplement with 90 essential nutrients in proper balances. At no cost or obligation, Get a personal certified holistic health coach to help you develop a supplement program based on Dr. Wallach's recommendations. Call Linda at 833-VITAL-90. That number to call is 833-848-2590. That's 833-VITAL-90. Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to veterans nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. Jose works on a farm. Safety is important. His boss calls 811 to determine where it's okay to dig. This protects Jose from hitting an underground line and from serious injury. Because Jose can't tell exactly where or how deep the lines are, he doesn't dig until 811 tells him it's safe. The most important thing is that Jose works safe and goes home to his family. For more information, visit farmsafe811.org. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. 
We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So interesting, Michael, about the fact that the case you're telling me about, the beings seen are largely human. Largely human. That's exactly correct. <laughs> That's, That's exactly- what is particularly strange, because we hear so often now of little gray men, not green men, but gray men. Well, I'm just going by what the witnesses are describing. I'm not adding or taking anything away. Uh, sure. I've got a source here, the Daily Oklahoman, March 1st, 1971, so people can verify this on their own. And the headline here, Object Sighting Now Rude. They have a picture of Mr. Laxon here, and they have a very nice drawing of the craft. Whoever did this did a really nice job. This is very similar to, to what he described. Now, I'm not going to read the whole article, but there's one little sentence here that I want to highlight. Now, this is Eddie Laxon speaking. This is within the article. Quote, what I saw was definitely not from space. The man was wearing fatigues and had a cap with the bill broken up like Air Force mechanics wear, Laxon said. It had common English letters on it. So even he felt that this was something man-made. It was not an alien. It was not an extraterrestrial. This was a man. He said that he was so close to this guy with a flashlight that if he saw him later that afternoon in downtown, he could recognize him. That's how close he was. Has anybody attempted to uh, see the uh, letters and uh, numbers on the side if if that was any kind of identifiable, you know, like uh, uh, aircraft? Uh, I'm not sure what the terminology would be, but uh, used, uh, you know, with the uh, Air Force or Navy aircraft? I've tried to figure out what this means, and I think it could have something to do with the Atomic Energy Commission. I don't know that for a fact, but no, to my knowledge, no one has been able to decipher what TL4768 means or what it stands for. The other interesting aspect of this story is the antenna or, or whatever you would call right. it on top that, that ends in in a ball. Uh, now, I know that uh, there are other reports in your book that uh, these craft uh, have uh, similar configurations. Couldn't have said it better myself. There's at least 15 separate cases within the historical archives now of these UFOs that have prongs sticking out, protrusions, and at the end of these protrusions, there's a ball there. Like it's some type of static electrical discharge unit or something you would see on a Wimshurst generator. All you have to do is do a Google search on Wimshurst generator, and you'll see these prongs sticking out with these balls at the end of them some type of static electrical discharge. That's what I'm thinking could possibly be the explanation for this because it it seemed very clear that whatever this thing was or however it flew, high voltage electricity was intimately involved in the entire propulsion system. And this is back in 1966. And if this is one of ours, which it certainly looks like it is because there was a man flying it, it had English markings on it. He was wearing a baseball cap. Why was Neil Armstrong not briefed about this? He's going to risk his life on a uh, Saturn V rocket that has 7,700,000 pounds of thrust with this liquid rocket, yet we have this craft here. It doesn't have any rocket rockets. It doesn't have any liquid rockets, solid rockets, no real moving parts whatsoever. 
And this is three years before Apollo 11. Was Neil Armstrong told about this? That's my question. <laughs> it, it reminds me of uh, Nick Cook's book. When, yes, when he was referencing the uh, studies that were going on, especially in the, the early to mid-1950s, uh, about various uh, uh, work being done on uh, uh, field propulsion or, or anti-gravity. And then all of a sudden, around 1960, it was just like uh, everything just stopped. It was like there was a wall of silence that had been clamped down. And then shortly thereafter, you start seeing these reports like this one of UFOs being piloted by decidedly human-looking occupants. That's right. <laughs> well done. That's exactly correct. Mm -hmm. Just just go by what the witnesses are describing and just go where it leads you. And that's the direction it's going here. That's what it looks like. That's someone made a breakthrough. Well, the breakthrough to me says that some of these craft may have been conventional test aircraft, but the descriptions are due in part to human error or perhaps... Walter Bosley's theory about a breakaway civilization is correct. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think there's a lot of good research that Walter's done. He, he deserves a lot of credit. I really think he's done some good legwork on that. He's been one of our most interesting guests. Yep. Yep. I think one of the uh, uh, confusing aspects about a lot of this is that uh, a lot of these sightings, the descriptions of the craft seem to be you like one off that you know you you never see or never hear about another description like that again the the case that you you first talked about in the show i mean i don't think that uh, you know you've got that one and i don't think we've ever heard about uh, anything uh, similar to that one um ever again yep it's a one off it's a very low production run if there's a production run at all so i agree with you it's a one off if, if they built any of these in any kind of quantity It'd be very low quantity, maybe one, two, or three. I, I don't see them building dozens or hundreds of these. No, these are one-off prototype, proof-of-design concepts. And the fact that he parked this thing perpendicular to a road indicates that maybe he was having problems with the propulsion system. He was making repairs. He was trying to fix something. And that's why he had to make an emergency landing on the road. That's what it sounds like to me anyway. One of the cases that also strikes me as being something terrestrial is Cash Landrum. Sure. Sure. I mean, it's one um, that we've talked about a number of times in the Powercast. One of our guest co-hosts, Kurt Collins, has done a lot of investigations into that one. But there you have people who are infected with something, ionizing radiation, whatever, mm -hmm. and suffer these lasting effects. And they're dealing with something there that seems like a physical aircraft. And how many of these more fantastic UFOs cause that kind of effect? Well, we certainly have got CE2 cases where it shut down car engines. It caused static on the radio. That's something we've heard of multiple times. Absolutely. So uh, as far as the radiation is concerned, yep, there's Michelin Man cases with radioactive uh, traces in the ground. Uh, so it's not completely unheard of. Caution. UFOs are dangerous to your health. <laughs> Do not approach. There was another case in your book um, that also involved 
electrical <laughs> uh, activity and uh, uh, again, you know, scroll, 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 scroll. <laughs> Ladies and strange. gentlemen, we're going to create a sound of scrolling, <laughs> except the sound may not be too friendly, so it will not appear on this part of the PowerCast, on our premium show after the PowerCast where there there's go. no censoring, where it's, fam- it's not family-friendly or anything. We might actually there do it, but right here, I don't think so. He's going to have that case in just a moment. In the meantime, Tim Swartz is our guest co-host. Michael Stratton is our guest. And we're looking at Dark Files, a pictorial history of lost, forgotten, and obscure UFO encounters. I'm Gene Steinberg. I hope I'm not that obscure. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. G'day, I'm Jamel that works with Dr. Joel Wallach and the GCN team with Longevity at TeamG'day.com. By becoming an associate, you provide income for you and your family on your own hours while working from home. So contact me, Jamel, by filling in the contact box at teamgaday.com and I will get back to you personally and provide all the support you need to get started and build your longevity business. Teamgaday.com. Teamgaday.com. Do the letters IRS give you anxiety? I'm Dan Pilla. I've defended people from the IRS for more than 40 years. My book, How to Get Tax Amnesty, created the tax resolution industry and is responsible for helping hundreds of thousands of people. It can help you, too. If you're a non-filer or facing IRS enforcement right now, your case is unique. You need real help, not cookie-cutter advice. My clients get my personal attention. Buy my book at danpilla.com and get a free consultation directly with me. That's danpilla.com. Let's start solving your tax problem right now. USA Radio News with Kenneth Burns. A mosque in the Ukrainian port city of Mariupol has reportedly become the latest target of Russian shelling as the invasion continues. More than 80 people, including children, were sheltering there, according to Ukrainian officials. The number of casualties is not known. The city has already been hit hard by the Kremlin. The estimated death toll was more than 1,200 since the start of the invasion. Meanwhile, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky continues to encourage his people to resist the Russians. He said the Kremlin would need to carpet bomb the capital, Kiev, and kill its residents to take the city. Over in China, they are reinstating COVID restrictions to limit the spread of the coronavirus in several cities. The country is dealing with a spike in infections with less than 600 new confirmed cases reported on Friday. The Texas Supreme Court stopped the last challenge to the state law that practically bans abortions in the state. This is USA Radio News. A Wisconsin man with a long rap sheet is about to go to trial for allegedly running over people during a Christmas parade. Daryl Brooks Jr., the man accused of driving through a Christmas parade deliberately and killing six people in Wisconsin, will go to trial in October. Brooks Jr. appearing in court on Friday where a judge ruled his trial will start October 3rd. From the USA Radio News Phoenix Bureau, I'm Tim Berg. A Columbus, Ohio police officer has been cleared of criminal wrongdoing in the shooting death of 16-year-old Makia Bryant. She was fatally wounded by Officer Nicholas Reardon as she swung a knife at a young woman. Police were called to Bryant's foster home about a group of girls threatening to stab other household members. The Justice Department is now doing a review of the Columbus Police Department. 
Nervousness over Russia's invasion of Ukraine causes a fifth straight losing week for the Dow, which closed down Friday 230 points. The Nasdaq lost 286 points. The S&P 500 was off by 55. You're listening to USA Radio News. Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? $92,000. Ouch. The IRS left no room for Jake to breathe. They put a lien on my house, took all the money out of my bank account, took money out of my paychecks. So it was a nightmare. He needed help fast. I figured that all these companies were the same until I called federal tax management. You could just tell they knew what they were talking about. Right then and there, I felt like I had some hope. Stop the liens, levies, and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special IRS programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt. So, how did it go for Jake? They did what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. (laughs) I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes... Take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. 800-503-8625. This is Jacques Vallée. You're listening to the podcast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So, Tim, the case that you scrolled to, did you find it? <laughs> yes, yes, I have found it, Gene. And and this is this is the case, and I know that this is probably uh, one of Mike's uh, favorite one. And this is the one that took place in, uh, and I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce this name, is it uh, Calusa, California? That's correct. In uh, 1976. This is a fascinating case because, once again, it involves uh, electricity. What we've got here is, uh, date is May 26, 1979, Calusa, California, and it's about 11.30 p.m. at night. The primary eyewitness is basically watching TV. He's alone in the living room. His wife and two kids are sleeping in the bedroom, and the power goes out. Essentially, the TV goes out, and concurrently, the air conditioning unit goes out. So he goes out of the house. He looks at the circuit breaker box. Pulls open the circuit breaker box, and the first thing he notices is that the hair on his arms, the hair on his chest, and the hair on his head not only sticks up vertically, but is crackling. The entire localized area had the static electrical field. He looks up. He sees this 140-foot diameter disc-shaped craft hovering above the house area there at low altitude. And on the top of it, it has a dome that looks like a lemon squeezer, these vintage lemon squeezers with these ridges on it, or like an orange juice squeezer. That's what this thing looked like. Now, on the bottom of it, it had six conduit pipes that tapered in fray edges. And I recently thought about what's a better way to describe these conduit pipes. So I came up with ramen noodles because that's exactly what these things look like. They look like ramen noodles hanging down. So here's another one of these cases where you have prongs and protrusions sticking out of the craft. Now, on kind of the left and right-hand side bottom of the craft, there were these double-prong hooks sticking out of this thing. And when he looked off to the left, he could see the same shape craft as the one that was above him, but it was half the diameter. And it was pulling power off the 500,000-volt power lines, causing them to become cherry red. So right there, it's a CE2 case. 
Next thing that happened is whatever these ramen noodles were, they retracted into the bottom of the craft. These two prong devices retracted 90% into the craft, and then a hatch opened up on both the left and right-hand side, and these gooseneck lights popped out, and they were shining down below. So at this point, he starts getting very concerned for his, the safety of his family. He goes into the bedroom where his uh, family's sleeping. He basically wakes up his wife, the two kids. They go back to the back bedroom window. They pull open the blind, and they see that large craft flanked on either side by the two smaller craft, and they're pulling power off the 500,000-volt power lines. And then something strange happened. The large craft went from a dead standstill to hovering over these low rolling hills in the background, did it in about one second, and then came back in one second. So within two seconds, this thing traversed like 50 miles. Just incredible. Within the book, we've got the sketch of what the craft looked like. This is the Sun Herald, Calusa, California, May 29th, 1979. You can see in this drawing this concave lemon squeezer dome section with these conduit pipes coming down with the frayed edges. So that's a very good uh, sketch within the newspaper clipping. Now, at this point, this father is completely shocked. He's frightened for the safety of his family. He piles everyone into the pickup truck. So you can see it's, it's this chaotic scene. The children are still in their pajamas. They're piling into the truck. They probably have their blanket still there, their pillow there. The wife piles into the passenger side. He starts going 90 miles an hour down the road. And basically, this craft starts following them. I'm talking about the large 140-foot diameter dish-shaped craft. Starts following them, goes over to the left-hand part of the cab, over the top of the truck, over to the right-hand side where his wife is sitting, then goes back over to the driver's side. This is all taking place at 90 miles an hour. They come to the neighbor's house. He slams on the brake, and the headline here is, Family Tells of Terror as UFO Chase Car at 90 Miles an Hour. San Antonio Express. And when they finally get to the neighbor's house, they basically start slamming on the door. The two neighbors come out. So you've got the original four witnesses plus the two neighbors see that large craft kind of depart at about a 60 degree angle at a high rate of speed. So this is the Calusa, California case. Very good case. I would love to know what kind of power draw was so recorded. Yeah, from those, uh, you know, it's it's uh, and, and whether the power company, the local power company, would even uh, be willing <laughs> to let that information go. Yeah, because uh, it caused a blackout in basically all of Calusa that very night. Huh? So I looked for that. I I couldn't find that clipping. So there there should be something there, but the the newspaper clippings describe the article in detail. So there, there should be a way to track this down, maybe going through the power. They, they might have logbooks, so there should be a record of this. But again, I mean, you know, we come to this where, and this isn't the only case. I mean, I, I know, I mean, I've come across a number of cases of, of UFOs being seen, you know, over uh, uh, high-tension power lines seemingly to uh, draw power. You know, if you're dealing with uh, something that is able to travel you know, intergalactic or, you know, intersolar system, the space, to get to planet Earth, why would they need to stop off at, <laughs> you know, a, a, a primitive society uh, electrical system to uh, steal a little bit of electricity? 
that's my point. It doesn't make any sense, right? Why would they need it? So is that another evidence of a man-made technology, or are they just brazen and they're playing with us? I have a quick question before we go on. Do you have any cases in your book that cover the other kind of occupant, the grays? Uh, not so much in grays, but that might be book two where I get into crash retrievals. Aha. Uh-huh. We can yeah, ask you more about one. that in a moment, what the feelings you have. But we wanted to continue certainly looking at this group of cases. As you say, these aren't things that get a lot of emphasis. Correct. They're more obscure. This one is more obscure. Mm-hmm. Well, the fact that it was covered in the local newspaper and uh, and then in the Kufo's archives. Uh, but you know, you made a good you made a good point though uh, about whether or not uh, these things are just you know basically uh, <laughs> we're, we're we're messing with us. Uh, the when the family was fleeing this the ship, obviously decided to harass them and you know and, and and chase them i mean that's that's basically saying you know i you know we're you know i'm here look at me i'm following you i i like that terminology used harassed that's exactly the right word for this it, it definitely harassed them that whatever this thing was or whoever was flying this had intent behind it there was an intelligence behind this thing there's no doubt well, and that's, uh, I mean, you've, you've got a number of cases in this book where you see that same type of, of intent. Uh, you know, now in the, uh, in the PDF version, you know, that, that, that you sent us, I mean, you've got the fat Frisbee UFO, uh, where, where again, I mean, you know, people are driving in a car and, you know, the UFO is, is really making itself very obvious to, you know, to the people yes. in the car. That's another case. Now, I think that was a little bit, I don't know if that one was particularly a harassment case, but the one that we just described certainly appears to be, yes. Mm-hmm. Nah, I just, I'm, I'm, used, I'm just basing that on the illustrations, which, mm-hmm. which by the way, I love the illustrations, uh, you know, in, in your book. I mean, the, uh, your, your, your artist is very good with his. Well, Tom Bogan is the artist, and unfortunately, He's no longer with us, and I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Yep. So this is now a legacy and tribute to him at this point. I'm I'm sorry to hear that. So, but yeah, uh, so was I. We're going to break here briefly with Michael, Gene, and Tim. You're in the Paracast. listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. 
Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. A lot can happen in six seconds. A rodeo ride, a dramatic basketball win, and the world record holder can solve a Rubik's Cube. Six seconds is how long it takes for an 18-wheeler traveling at a safe speed to come to a complete stop. And in those six seconds, that truck will travel the length of two football fields. So please, give them room. Never cut in front of a large truck for any reason. Our roads, our responsibility. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. I need a tax preparer. How should I choose one? Using a paid tax preparer this year? Before paying someone to do your taxes, make sure they're qualified. Ask about their fees, experience, and training. Check with a Better Business Bureau. Avoid anyone who promises a higher refund. And review your tax return before you sign it. And make sure your preparer signs it too. For more tips, visit irs.gov and search Choosing a Preparer. Airlines have just reduced their prices even more. Book 30 days in advance and save big. Want the absolute lowest prices on your airline tickets? Then call the low-cost airlines travel hotline right now. For prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. The only way to access our low rates and save up to 70% is to call. Save hundreds on your vacation tickets by calling right now. You can fly anywhere in the world and pay discount prices on your airline. Tickets. Book a flight today to London, Paris, Madrid, or anywhere else you want to go. And pay a lot less guaranteed. Call the International Travel Department right now at low-cost airlines. 802-341-4535. 802-341-4535. That's 802-341-4535. Hi, this is James Fox. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We're continuing now with the various unsung heroes or cases 
in the UFO field with Michael Schratt. The book is Dark Files. Gotten very, very good reviews on Amazon. In fact, the only unfavorable review it had was from someone who never read the book. That's right. <laughs> what is your favorite case, Michael? Uh, we just covered it. The uh, Temple, Oklahoma case is my favorite sure. because just the, the markings, the shape of the craft, the military insignia, the high-pitched drilling noise, the fact that it's 1966. So that that's, gives you a 10-year jump on the technology because the newspaper clippings talk about breakthroughs in 1955. So when you add it all up, yeah, that's my favorite. That's my favorite case. You've got the one case in here. And I, I really have to, you know, applaud the witnesses to this one because of, of just the, the, the detail that they were able to observe. And again, Gene, I'm, I'm, I'm scrolling to get back to it here. Uh, there was a couple of them, actually. I mean, there was the one, the flying vanity light uh, Correct. UFO. Yes in connecticut uh the the observation of the uh like the enlarged socket detail and stuff do you, you want to describe that one a little bit to sure, us sure sure yeah i'll do that one now uh, i want to tell you where i got this case from this case came from the wendell stevens collection so the date is november 20th 1956 it's danielson connecticut primary eyewitness is outside and she sees what's described as a half sphere. So just picture a beach ball cut in half with a butter knife. That's what this thing looked like. 25 feet across and on the bottom of it, she said it had these sockets and at the end of each socket was a different colored bulb. The whole thing was rotating and if you look further into this, this is again in the book, on the bottom of this craft, uh, these sockets were connected to a, you could say, a floor that was indented about two feet into the bottom of the craft itself. So there's, there was this indented section. And the way she described these sockets is there was a ball at the end of them. They were illuminated. They all had a different color. But then stacked kind of on top of the vanity lights, we can call them, there were these three Dunkin' Donuts and between these Dunkin' Donuts that were kind of a yellowish gold color, there were two black bands. So you've got these donuts separated by these black bands. And then on the bottom side of these donuts, and she did a very good – I know this is, case is true because this lady did a beautiful sketch. This is not a hoax. She saw this thing. You can just tell by her drawing that she saw this thing. She did such a wonderful job. I'm so impressed by the way she did this. And the way she described it is that on the bottom of these donuts, it looked like a Peruvian rug border or something you would see on Mayan or Inca pottery is the best way she described this. So I went ahead and did an AutoCAD drawing showing you what these sockets look like with the donuts and the black band. Then over to the right, which is in the book. Uh, I've got the enlargement, and I'll just read this word for word, kind of the way that she described it here. Resembled in ancient Arabic language, also looked like the border of Persian or Oriental rug designs, reference design seen on mine or ink and pottery. That's what it looked like. And so, very interesting case. I completely believe it. Now, Linda Zimmerman tracked this woman down, but she died about three years ago. So she's no longer with us. And, and you know, that's the case now. Not only are we chasing the undertaker, we're long beyond that now. And so we've got to preserve an important part of our national history. 
Well, the uh, the other case that I that I was uh, referring to with some just absolutely fantastic descriptions was the one in Venezuela you know, on December 26, nineteen seventy two. We referred to it as the what is it the flying ellipse, the flaming ellipse. Yep. So when we talk about obscure and lost, this is exactly what I'm talking about. This case was forgotten about. It was obscure. It was lost. It was never talked about. I'm virtually certain it's never been seen by the public. It was never published in IUR. It was never published in APRO or MUFON or anything. So this qualifies as an obscure case. Uh, when I saw the case, I said, yep, that's that's one of them. That's one of these lost cases. So just to set this up here, December 26, 1972, Venezuela. Primary eyewitness, this involved the husband, the wife, and their young daughter, they're on the top of their 14th floor apartment complex. They're looking off to the right where they always notice that there's commercial airliner passing by going to the local airport. So they were expecting this plane to show up at this particular time. And so when they were looking in the direction of where this quote unquote airliner was supposed to come, what they saw instead was a orange yellowish flame type appearance of a craft. It was no commercial airliner. Now, when this thing got closer, they could see that this was kind of an elliptically shaped craft. It's about 50 feet in length. It had two opposing hemispherical insulators. Again, think of a ball, but chopped in two with about a 10-inch gap between the two spheres. And there was this continuous blue electrical arc going on between these two spheres. Now, the entire half on either side and then also encompassing the back end of these, he said what looked like twin cast iron exhaust ports with this violet or purple colored electrical flame that looked like lasagna noodles coming out of this craft. This is the way he described this thing. There was a five-page report. There was a very good detailed sketch. I believe it 100%. This guy's not lying. He's drawing what he saw. Now, what happened next is he talked to his daughter he told her to immediately run next door and get a pair of binoculars from the neighbor. She did that. This is in the report. She ran back, gave it to her father. He looked through the binoculars and got a very detailed look at what this thing looked like. He described all the components. He described this electrical arc going between these two insulator halves. And then he descri described these very strange cast iron exhaust ports with what looked like an electrical discharge coming out of it that were violet. They were lasagna noodles. That's what they looked like. And these were not campfire flames. It didn't look like flames at all. To him, it looked like more of an electrical discharge. So in a nutshell, that's this case. Well, once again, we're dealing with objects that seem to be using um, high-voltage electricity as yep. some part of its propulsion system. And naturally, since uh, I'm a Nikola Tesla researcher, it makes me think of the research that Tesla was doing in his lifetime with his Tesla coils and field propulsion and that sort of thing. And uh, so, uh, again, are we dealing with somebody who was able to take Tesla's technology and make that big leap? Right. What it looks like, if you read these reports and look at the newspaper clippings, what the witnesses are describing, what it, what it looks like to me is we've lost an entire century of our history. We've, someone did something, 
a long time ago. You just mentioned Tesla. We have lost an entire century, and they have just left us behind. That's what it looks like to me. <laughs> no, it's uh, uh, when we see all of these cases involving UFOs. I mean, and, and, and I'm not going to go and and just you know completely dismiss that uh, uh, the the extraterrestrial hypothesis is 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 outdated but i think more and more we're seeing that a large portion of these cases really do you know seem to be working uh with some kind of human made uh technology right. uh albeit very you know very advanced human made uh, technology um uh, one aspect of your book that we, we really haven't discussed too much yet is the uh, the USO phenomena, and uh, that's that's something that uh, I think for the longest time has been rather dismissed or just kind of uh, buried. But I mean, you've got some some really excellent cases, you know, in your book that uh, uh, you know I'm really happy to see, and I, and and I think that uh, more people need to be aware. That uh, there's probably even more cases of USOs reported than there are UFOs, or UAPs. Well, well said. That's well said. Uh, I totally agree. And I, for some strange reason, and I can't figure out why, USOs have almost been completely forgotten, not only just by the public, but even within ufology. They have not got the credit they deserve. And uh, in my slide presentation, I try to highlight this fact here that the government-sponsored 1969 University of Colorado $600,000 Condon report failed to mention any USO cases. And then of the 1,517 foreign non-American cases categorized by Jacques Vallée, 50% were at sea. So here's the question. How in the world did they spend $600,000 of our tax money on this thing? without even investigating 50% of the phenomenon. We've got more to come with Michael, Gene, and Tim, you're in. The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. 
I represent low-cost airlines, and we know a lot of you are not traveling right now, and we understand. However, if you do need to travel between now and the end of the year, now is a great time to lock in some of the lowest prices we've seen in a lifetime. Hey, in normal times, we can save you up to 75%, but now airlines are practically giving away seats. We have inside deals on over 500 airlines. Here are a few sample round-trip deals we found. Seattle to Vegas, $35. Chicago to Atlanta, $85. Los Angeles to Atlanta, $100. Of course, there are some limitations, but the airlines want your business right now. And cancellation and change fees are flexible. So fly somewhere this year, book now, save a ton, call right now. 802-341-4535. That's 802-341-4535. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. I think a lot of people who have been following the UFO field over the years realize that the Condon report was a put-up job. No. So it didn't matter what they investigated. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> they could have investigated 5,000 cases, but the conclusion would be the same. That's right? exactly correct. Well, I mean, you, you look at uh, the more uh, recent cases with the Tic Tac sightings, and, I mean, you know, you've got you know, all the attention naturally being paid, you know, to the videos taken and the, you know, Tic Tacs uh, flying circles around the uh, the Navy jets, yet the parts where they're seeing obvious some kind of activity taking place underwater has really been glossed over. Correct. That's right. What's a favorite USO case that, okay, uh, that you've so got in your let, book? Let's, let's talk about the sources for this information. So you've got Invisible Residence by Ivan T. Sanderson, which is a tremendous book. Uh, it's right up there at the best. And I always try to highlight this because if you have any friends or family members that are skeptical about this phenomenon and they might be sitting on the fence, they really don't know which way to go with this. If they sit down with this book for a Saturday or maybe like a rainy Sunday afternoon. And if you begin reading these documented naval, U.S. Navy, USO cases, case after case, well-documented, well-referenced U.S. Navy cases, you just cannot put this book down thinking there's nothing to this, you know, when you look at it objectively. Now, so that's one source. The other source is by Preston Dennett. He has compiled a tremendous amount of USO cases, and we can talk about a few of these, but let me hit you with this first one here. This involves the USS Wasp off the coast of Puerto Rico. It's 1963, and so they've got five naval ships and two submarines. This went on for about two weeks, and what they were doing is they were tracking a USO going 150 knots at a depth of 27,000 feet. This is back in 1963. So who had the technology in 1963 to develop and field some type of USO that could go 150 knots at 27,000 feet depth back in 1963? And it's talked about in this book. Another case we can talk about, June 14, 1992, Catalina Island. There were multiple witnesses that saw what it could be described as this lighted circular devices below the surface, and then they popped out, 
This was seen by about 12 eyewitnesses. This is talked about within uh, Preston Dennett's publications as well. They have another case here that he talked about, February 7th, 1989, Catalina Island, where this strange USO basically, I wouldn't call it hovered, but floated on the surface. It launched off six flying saucers from its back and then submerged, and this all took place within about 60 seconds. That's talked about with, within Preston Dennett as well. So that's a couple of USO cases. Yeah, Catalina Island, that, that whole area has uh, gotten a lot of attention for the uh, unusual activity that's uh, that's been taking place. Catalina Island, for sure, for sure. I went there and I talked to the reference librarian. She wasn't aware of it, but yeah, there, there's a historical legacy of USO sightings in Catalina Island. We'll do a couple more here. August 4th, 1967. Venezuela, witness observed a boiling circle that was 18 feet in diameter, and then all of a sudden, this turquoise sphere pops out of the water, and there was water dripping off the side of this thing, and then in the center, there was this double row, and between the row, or kind of like a, a dividing line, there were these triangles that were rotating around the outer circumference of the craft, and then this thing flew away back in 1967. One more here. We talked about the USS FDR before. This is October 2nd, 1963, West Italy. Initial contact was 600 miles from the ship at an altitude of 80,000 feet. Then whatever this thing was approached the ship at a range of about 10 miles and 5,000 feet, and then it got within about... 20 yards of the ship, seen by a lot of personnel, and then disappeared, was clocked on radar at going over 4,000 miles an hour. This is back in 1963. <laughs> Ivan T. Sanderson's book, Invisible Residence, I mean, I, I discovered that book, oh my gosh, when I was a, when I was a teenager, and it really did. It, it, it opened my yep. eyes to you know the the whole this this other completely different aspect of the uh, UFO phenomenon. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's uh, uh, you know I'm, I'm I'm glad to see that you've you've included some of these cases uh, you know in your book. I should mention to our listeners before we go on with Ivan T. Sanderson, he did several interviews with our staff announcer Bob Zanotti back in the '60s. Bob had a show called Coffee Clutch. We have recordings of a couple of those yeah. interviews, and wow. they will become part of the Paracast Plus for listeners wow. to our subscription service in the very near future. They're really of good quality, considering we're talking about reel-to-reel -reel audio tape from, as I said, around 1965 or thereabouts. We have, I'm looking here, say, two or three of those interviews. That would be very interesting. I would love to listen to those. <laughs> wow. Coming soon, listeners. Cool. <laughs> now, if you want to check out more about the PowerCast Plus, if you're not a member, go to the PowerCast.plus. And by the way, we added new ordering systems. So if you don't want to sign up with, say, PayPal, you could use a regular credit or debit card or Apple Pay or Google Pay. Let's get back to this close encounter with Michael Schratt. His book is Dark Files, A Pictorial History of Lost, Forgotten, and Obscure UFO Encounters. And where a picture is worth a thousand words, these brief descriptions of various sightings include drawings, sometimes vintage drawings, sometimes done by his artist, to get you a really fascinating picture of some of the cases that are lost in time because we're so focused on Roswell. 
Right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, let's do one more within the uh, USO part here. Now, this is 1955, Antarctica. This is during something called Operation Deep Freeze. And there's an article here. It came from beneath the sea. Dr. Ruben J. Valela, a Brazilian scientist aboard an icebreaker in Admiralty Bay, Antarctica, was shocked out of his senses when he saw a strange craft shoot up through the sea through more than 37 feet of solid ice. That is the question. Admiralty Bay, the, the ship that was involved in this, is called the USCGC Eastwind. And in the report, uh, this is talked about as well. Whatever this thing was, it was bullet-shaped, and it punched through 37 feet of solid ice and then flew off into space back in 1955. So you can imagine the personnel on the ship, they see this craft just burst through the ice, and these huge chunks of ice are flying off into the air, and they come slamming down. And then it's got this cut-out section within the ice with bubbling water as this thing flies away back in 1955. Who has the technology to do this? In 55, if you look at our fast attack submarines, we can go through 37 inches of solid ice, but we can't go through 37 feet of solid ice back in 1955. I'd like to know who had the technology to do that. <laughs> you know, people have uh, ha- have suggested that uh, that there's been another civilization that that developed on Earth besides our own mm-hmm. that started underwater, but. I would have to question that because I would think that uh, you know any developing civilization would first have to discover fire. Mm-hmm. How are you going to discover fire underwater? Same goes with electricity. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's going it's to be hard to experiment with uh, electricity if you're uh, uh, an underwater water breathing. <laughs> Makes sense, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, well, um, and I know, I know, I know, Gene, that we've we've got a break coming up uh, here soon. But uh, uh, Michael, I I know that uh, you've also done a lot of research over the years on um, uh, triangular uh, 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 shaped uh, UFOs, and uh, some of the descriptions on the the craft that you've had in your book, especially you know, like all of the pipes and rivets and things like that, are right. very rem- reminiscent of some of the uh, reports that 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 you have looked at with some of these triangle shaped UFOs. Let's find out more with Michael, Gene, and Tim. That means you're in the Paracast. <laughs> Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream, a dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the protectors find out more at rockoids.com that's rockoids r-o-c-k-o-i-d-s dot com 
If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? $92,000. Ouch. And the IRS left no room for Jake to breathe. They put a lien on my house, took all the money out of my bank account, took money out of my paychecks. So it was a nightmare. He needed help fast. I figured that all these companies were the same until I called federal tax management. You could just tell they knew what they were talking about. Right then and there, I felt like I had some hope. Stop the liens, levies, and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special IRS programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt. So, how'd it go for Jake? They did what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. (laughs) I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes... Take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625. You've been hearing Dr. Wallach talking about 90 essential nutrients, keeping the body healthy. GCNteam.com now has Beyond Tangy Tangerine tablets, 60 plant-derived minerals, 16 vitamins, 12 amino acids, packed in a powerful tablet. But that's not it. 160,000 auric points, a knockout punch to free radicals. Call 877-878-4203 or go to GCNteam.com. That's 877-878-4203. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So Tim asks a question that references triangle-shaped UFOs, which is something, by the way, as we know, David Marler has investigated for a number of years. Michael, you had a response to Tim's comment? Well, based way that I can describe that is when we go back to the 83 case, you're right. The, the rivets show up again and again. And what that witness was describing in 83 with the Mobile Alabama case is that the entire outer portion of this craft 
look like it was fastened by rivets. In some cases, uh, I've got report from QFOS, which I don't think that one was reported either. It was a triangular-shaped craft, and he, he actually mentioned and wrote in the report with his pencil sketch, did a really good pencil sketch of it, he talked about rusty bridge rivets, something that you would see on the Golden Gate Bridge. He actually used that terminology. So that, to me, is screaming a man-made technology. <laughs> Yeah, you've got these these interesting discrepancies, though, because I mean, you know, in, in in one case, you have the description of these craft as being seamless, almost looked like that they were cast from a mold, right? And then you turn then you turn around and you have basically like a flying bridge, almost, or a flying boiler room, <laughs> you know, something that looks like that it shouldn't even be able to get off the ground yet there it is uh you know hovering silently over a neighborhood yep there, there's different configurations it looks like there's almost different technologies and then when you were talking about the seamless craft uh i think it's important now this one we really can't call it obscure but it's still part of the historical legacy this was seamless to to mention what you were talking about here may 16th 1967 falcon lake canada this has to do with Stephen Mekalek. He was a rock hound. He was a mineral collector. And uh, on this particular day, he was wearing his hiking boots. He had thick leather pants on. He had gloves on. He had a plaid shirt on. And he was wearing uh, leather gloves and a welder's goggle because when he was chipping away at rocks, he didn't want to damage his eyes. So that's what he kind of was wearing during this whole sighting. How this began is he heard these birds taking off behind him, so they, they had this strange disturbance noise. So he looked up, saw these birds depart, and then he saw two 40-foot diameter dish-shaped craft. They were both identical. One departed. The other one landed about 200 feet from his location, and it sat there for a half an hour before he did anything. So he was looking at this thing. For a half an hour, it's about 40 feet in diameter. It has kind of a dome on top that's squared off. It has these slits that are horizontally located around the outer circumference of the upper dome. And then he said that there was a door that opened up, this strange door, and there was this violet or purple light coming out from the interior. He also said that he could hear a language that he couldn't decipher and laughter. So here's this laughter again. So he went up to this door, did not walk into the craft, kind of looked inside, and he used English, Spanish, Polish, and French as a way to try to communicate with whatever, whoever was inside. That seemed to fail. Next thing that happened is this door closed. The craft hovered off the ground about a half a foot, somewhere around maybe six inches to eight inches, and then it began rotating, and this strange... We can call it exhaust panel or exhaust vent that was about eight inches by six inches, which had what looked like perfect CNC drilled holes in them. The pitch of these holes were like perfectly done on two inch centers or maybe one inch centers. And that vent lined up with his chest and whatever this thing was, there was some type of a hot air exhaust that came out of this vent that burned him. And as you know, this case is very famous, Stephen Michalik. The whole pitch pattern within this vent lined up perfectly with the burn marks on his chest. And he had this continuing medical condition where these burn marks would disappear, but then they would come back again. This went all the way until he passed away a few years ago. 
It's a very well-known case in ufology, and I kind of have a, a world exclusive within the book here. My co-worker, Antonio, Antonio Junius, who I used to work with, he actually... Oh, yes, uh, Antonio. Yep. How, yep. Oh, well, I haven't heard from him in years. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Yep. He got a copy of the photograph taken by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. It clearly shows the circular area where this thing comes down. So you can see a demarcation between the area outside the circle and the area inside. There's a complete definition of a circular portion where the craft actually came down. So very well-known case, Edmonton Journal, May 24th, 1967, headline, Foul Smell Persists, UFO Cider Suffers Chest Burns. So multiple newspaper clippings on this one. That's a fascinating case, and... Uh Years afterwards, when they were, uh, I, I think it was uh, Stephen's son and a, a Canadian UFO researcher went to the site, they were able to track it down, and they actually found metal that had been uh, melted into mm-hmm. the seams of the yep. rock where the UFO had right. landed that right. was still radioactive. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It is. It is very interesting. Yeah, it says radioactive metal fragments found at the scene. Fragments were about four and a half inch long and a half inch wide. If I saw a landed UFO, I would stay far, far away from it after this. (laughs) (laughs) He thought it was a unconventional man-made aircraft. Correct. That's uh, correct. Because he tried dressing uh, the occupants inside, and I think he tried French first, and then I think he tried Russian. At least four separate languages. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. <laughs> and that's how he—that's how he was treated. Ended up with a, a lifelong uh, burn on his chest. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, and and as you pointed out, uh, the uh, his his son said that the smell would still. As, as well as the markings would, you know, periodically appear throughout his life, the smell would also come back. Wow. So, yeah, what kind of physiological effect can do that? That's very odd. That's very odd. Some type of strange medical condition. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and okay, curious. Uh, uh, do you have anything, uh, uh, any cases like that similar uh, in in your book, not um, like that. Not like that one. Huh? Yeah, no. uh-uh. uh, I mean, I I know that there have been other other cases of people who have been injured from uh, close encounters with UFOs, but uh, right. that one is is really probably the best. And i I want to I want to point out something. There is the story that you have. That took place in 1977 in Tucson, Arizona, sure, uh, sure. where Mrs. Lois Stovall and the, the 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 drawing of this craft or, or or whatever you'd want to call it is very reminiscent of the um, Chupa Chupa uh, craft that were being seen in Brazil <laughs> that was reported by uh, uh, Jacques Vallée. Uh, okay. Very, very same, uh, about the same size, but the uh, you know, unlike the case in uh, Tucson, these things would uh, ho- hover over people and then shoot laser-like beams. We've got so much more to come with Gene and Michael and Tim. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> Yeah. 
Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions, silverlungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs Generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at silverlungs.com. That's silverlungs.com. What if you could cut your heating bills this winter with your existing wood-burning fireplace and not spend thousands doing it? You can with Great Wall of Fire Fireplace Grates. Our U.S. patented, made-in-America Wall of Fire Grates increase fireplace efficiency, eliminate fireplace smoke problems, and come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. See our grates in action and get free shipping from walloffire.com or call 800-274-7364. Fireplace heat without fireplace smoke. Walloffire.com. USA Radio News. A bipartisan group of U.S. Senators have arrived in Warsaw to meet the U.S. Ambassador to Poland. Senators Rob Portman of Ohio, Roger Wicker of Mississippi, Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota, and Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut will also be meeting with U.S. troops from the 82nd Airborne Division. President Biden has said if the U.S. ends in any sort of American forces to fight in Ukraine, it's the start of a greater conflict. If we respond, it is World War III, but we have a sacred obligation. On NATO territory, a sacred obligation, Article 5. A powerful late winter storm is leaving thousands in the dark along the East Coast. The storm's high winds and heavy snowfall have left more than 140,000 people without power Saturday. The National Weather Service has put around 16 million people under a winter storm warning from Tennessee to Maine. Strong wind gusts and low visibility also caused a 70-vehicle pileup in central Pennsylvania Saturday, injuring multiple people. This is USA Radio News. As many as 12 missiles struck near a sprawling U.S. consulate complex in the northern Iraqi city of Erbil in what a U.S. defense official and an Iraqi official said was a strike launched from neighboring Iran. The Kurdish Interior Ministry says the attack caused only material damage and only one civilian was injured. So far, there has been no official claim of responsibility. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is warning there could be another year of high inflation. The latest data from the Labor Department shows consumer prices climbed 7.9% in February from a year ago, the largest annual increase since January of 1982. It's the end of an era as Joe Buck is reportedly leaving Fox for ESPN. The New York Post is reporting Buck will join his longtime broadcast partner, Troy Aikman, in the booth at ESPN for Monday Night Football, leaving Fox after almost 30 years. ESPN is expected to give him a five-year deal worth up to $75 million. This is USA Radio News. You don't sit behind a desk every day to earn a living. You're out and about making it happen. And sometimes you get a little bit behind on your paperwork, you know, like bookkeeping and paying your taxes. It's easy to get behind on paying your taxes. It happens to the best of us. And you know what happens next. The big, bad IRS comes knocking on your door. And when that happens, you need to call the good old boys at the tax doctor. Let them do what they do best. Deal and negotiate with the IRS so you pay the lowest you can in back taxes that the law allows. We are a 100% U.S.-based company, and we've saved our clients millions over the years in back taxes. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, call my friends right now at the tax doctor and learn more. 800-507-3137. 
That's 800-507-3137. Hey, this is Marie D. Jones, the author of This Book is from the Future, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Now, I know that some parts of the country, when UFOs are present, they seem to be more hostile. Is that the culture or what? I'd like to see a map that vets that out, actually. That's a very good point. Maybe on the East Coast, but uh, I'd like to examine that. I'd like to find out more about that, where they have more of a hostile intent. I'm thinking more of South America. Right. Yeah, South of Central America seem to have more cases of of hostile interactions. Hmm. Well, on this uh, Tucson case that you mentioned, and uh, that's used to be right down the road from where I lived, uh, actually began in a basically a schoolyard where the primary eyewitness saw this light approaching her front yard. She was looking outside the living room window that faces the schoolyard. And this craft, it was about 6 p.m. at night, this craft approaches her front yard. She gets out of the house, right where the door is, where the living room is, and she's looking at this thing. And it's a cylinder. It's approximately six feet tall. And this is talked about in the APRO report. They have the whole newspaper article uh, describing what this is within the uh, reference works there. It has kind of a rounded bottom, a slightly rounded top. There is a hollow section within the cylinder, and there's a clear, transparent cutout section showing the interior. Now, what she described seeing is, and she tried to touch this thing. It was hovering about 10 feet above the lawn, and she actually reached up her hand and tried to touch it, but it was too high for her, but she got within feet of this thing. In front of this clear, transparent section, there were these bars that came down that looked like a jailhouse. That's what was described here. And then behind these bars was, the best way to describe it, a hazmat suit. A pressurized hazmat suit being who was kind of in a slightly crouched position. Whatever this thing was, there was a crystal-like light at the bottom of this craft that had a violet and red and blue aura about it. It was glowing. And then whatever this being was, there was a rectangular cutout, and she could barely make out the impression of a man's face. It was very vague. It was very nebulous. But whatever this being was, it looked like it was wearing an inflatable sort of pressurized hazmat suit, and it had ridges along the upper arm section, and there were at least five military helicopters flying around this thing while it was going on. So the military probably has a record of this. They were aware of it. I don't know of any other case that has bars on it with these inflatable hazmat suits. So I think it's kind of an unprecedented case. You've got a couple of cases in the book uh, where people have seen uh, occupants with very similar descriptions, almost uh, as they're called, the the Michelin Man. That's correct. Uh, UFO occupants. Correct. <laughs> yep, we got the Michelin Man cases. It just can't be denied because there are so many different Michelin Man cases. They're all around the world, and I don't think any subject or topic or discussion about UFOs can exist without the Michelin Man case. So. 
I mean, we can certainly cover those if you want. Uh, that, that's certainly possible. Well, I think the Reunion Island case, for me, it's probably one of the best known, but I don't know if other people are familiar with it. Yeah, so this is July 31st, 1968, Reunion Island. This is in the Indian Ocean. The primary eyewitness was picking grass for his rabbits. He turned a corner around some trees, and he sees this strange device. It's about 16 feet across. It has a transparent front section. There is a blue translucent left and right section, and the whole thing is elevated off the ground about five to six feet. It has a pedestal on the bottom and a mirror image pedestal on the top. And what looks like, this is where it goes right here, there were two what were termed Michelin men inside this transparent section of this egg-shaped device with the pedestal landing pads, you could say, an identical one on the top of the craft. Now, when the one on the left noticed he was being watched by the primary eyewitness, he kind of turned over to the other one on the right, and there was this blinding flash, and this craft disappeared. Two weeks later, when investigators got to the location, they absolutely did find evidence of radioactive uh, residual effects to the soil. So this is a CE2, and it's a CE3. Now, if it was just this Michelin Man case, there wouldn't be much to it. We wouldn't have much to go on. But there's another case. This I pulled this out of the uh, Gray Barker collection. This is March 14, 1976, Lyra, Spain. The father and the mother, they had just finished going to the graduating class of their son. This was a kind of a, a Navy graduating class ceremony. So they're driving back home down the road. It's getting dark here. And the wife looks off to the left and sees this white portion on the left-hand side of the road. And she's thinking, wow, what's this? And whatever this thing was, it made this corkscrew maneuver. It basically transformed from a corkscrew into what looks like it can only be described as Sunday night at the Oscars. This Michelin man appears, and he's about nine feet tall. He kind of has almost completely featureless head. You could call it no nose, no mouth. But he was wearing this diving suit with these ridges on it. Looked like the Michelin Man. Both arms were down by the waist. He had clenched fists. And he had both feet together. He was hovering off the pavement about 10 inches and was moving down the road. He was not walking. He was hovering. While you're talking about this Michelin Man, I think of the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man in Ghostbusters. A little bit like that, too. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep, definitely. Now, when they reached the point where they were basically perpendicular to this being or whatever this thing was, on their Peugeot automobile, the electrical lighting system failed. The lights went out. The car kept running, but the lighting system went out. And when they passed it about 600 feet, they pulled off to the side of the road. There were two other cars that passed them, and they flagged them down, and they asked them, did you just see this strange being on the left-hand side of the road? They didn't see it because they were in back of him. And they had no way to continue driving because their lights were out. So whoever these two people were that pulled off to the side of the road, they were very helpful because one of them drove in front of their vehicle and one drove in back of their vehicle using their lights, and they made it back into town. And so this is March 14th, 1976. We've got at least two separate Michelin Man cases now. 
That's the fascinating thing about all of this is that, I mean, you know, not just the Michelin Man cases, but many others where you have reports from different times, different places on the planet. They're so similar coming from people who really probably never had any interest in UFOs. A lot of them had no idea what the UFO phenomenon was, yet you're getting the very same kind of descriptions time after time. Perfectly stated, yes. Different locations, different times, different witnesses describing the same thing. And And the point being here is that these are things that are not widely publicized. So it's not as if you can take the local newspaper when there were local newspapers and see a particular case and maybe add a few details. Yeah, I think that's so important to this research is because when you get this independent confirmation from multiple witnesses and you know they don't know each other because you've got Reunion Island, then you've got Spain, then there's another one, another Michelin Man case that's in France that involved a very young woman who was washing dishes looking out the kitchen window. She saw a Michelin man, too. I'm sure they don't know each other. So all these cases um, from all of these different, you know, you know, uh, um, um, archives. Right. Do you know, and, and, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of putting you in the spot here. Sure. Do you know, has, is anybody attempting to digitize these, uh, all of these files? And a reminder that we will be welcoming Michael Schratt to this weekend's episode of After the Paracast, which is part of your Paracast Plus subscription. Check the Paracast.plus for more info. We've got Tim and Michael and Gene, you're in. The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. You trust your mother, right? She's always taken care of you and always tried to give you good advice when you ask for it. And sometimes even when you don't. Well, even though she might not mention it, mom very likely has neck, back, and shoulder pains. And she needs relief. So trust this good advice. Give back to mom this Mother's Day with quality products from Sunny Bay. Like our disposable heat patches. They're back in stock now and target neck and shoulder pain in adults of all ages. Or our extra long 
Neck Heating Pads. They provide soothing relief to painful sore necks and backs. Mom can heat them in her microwave, and they come in a variety of colors and patterns. Read our trusted, authentic, and real reviews on Amazon when you search Sunny Bay Heating Wraps. And shop now in time for Mother's Day. There's no shipping delays from Sunny Bay. Find us on Amazon, Walmart, Etsy, and sunny-bay.com. Remember, just search for Sunny Bay Neck Wraps. Order now because stock is high and shipping is fast. From Sunny Bay. Now with orders to stay at home, public health concerns, the reality of illness due to pathogens and viruses, your health is at an all-time high risk. That's why it's critical to take a proactive approach to boost your immune system. You can with new nano-colloidal silver from AmeriCare. Our patented process with tiny silver particles, one one-hundredth the size of a red blood cell, allows for maximum body absorption. AmeriCare's nano-colloidal silver effectively disinfects your body internally, attacking pathogens and viruses while supercharging your immune system. Colloidal silver is antibacterial and antiviral. Simply put, it prohibits bacterial respiration, suffocating viral cells, preventing the virus from replicating. And now, due to public health concern, AmeriCare is authorized to offer our lowest and best price ever, around a dollar a day. But supplies are limited. Purchase nano-colloidal silver now at immunesupportnow.com. That's immunesupportnow.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Supplies are limited. Extend your life with Extendovite. Extendovite really works. Here are some reviews from Amazon.com. John Hess, 5 out of 5 stars. Awesome. Probably my only review, but at age 40, I was getting bad heart throb and left arm pain, mainly before bed. I even stopped smoking and drinking sodas for a month, and that didn't work. After one day of taking Extendovite, it was gone and hasn't returned in three years. I've ordered Extendivite 13 times, so Amazon just said. Juliet Hordick. I've ordered this product before in liquid form. It is fantastic. My whole family's been on it. To order, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit our website at heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extendivite. Tormay, screenwriter, producer. You're listening to Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Now, you were mentioning there, I'm going to answer briefly for you, Tim, when we interviewed David Marler. As you know, he's very busy digitizing cases, as is Barry Greenwood. Yeah, I mean, I think about like, you know, the like Kufos, as you know, Mike said, I mean, you had files that you couldn't even get a razor blade in. There was, you know, so much uh, material in there. And you know that modern paper isn't going to last that long. Uh, it's going to deteriorate rapidly. For example, the uh, Gray Barker collection in Clarksburg, West Virginia, that's in the old mansion there. That's where they have his collection. There's about... Ten cabinets full of material, plus books and pamphlets and everything. I am certain that none of that was ever scanned, and it probably never will be. Gray Barker is a story unto himself. Yes, he is. <laughs> That's true. Well, you knew Gray, didn't you, uh, Gene? Oh, yeah, for, what, 25, 30 years. And he was very close with Jim Mosley. The problem with Gray Barker, of course, and this has no reflection necessarily on his case files, is that he and Jim were not above 
faking a few things. I just hate to think, though, that, you know, for like, like Gray's uh, uh, files, that it won't be that long before they're going to be unreadable. You're, you know, you, you pull them out, they're just going to fall apart in your hands. It's just so important that, that this material be, you know, put into different formats so that, you know, people years from now will be able to access them because this information is so valuable. And I just hate the fact that a lot of it has been forgotten. And part of the problem being analog or physical paper as opposed to a recording or something digitized is that you can't search it. So you have somebody like Michael Schratt looking through files, in a sense, not knowing what's going to be found because there is no search. There's no way to search the things for a specific type of case unless they have some kind of index or there are labels in a particular category. And running across gems... A few gems, a few dozen out of thousands. It's like an endless task. <laughs> Boy, that's exactly correct. That's how it went down. You have no idea what you're going to find. So the only way to go through it is to go through all of it. So it's a deep dive search and really going through every folder. Oh, by the way, Michael Schratt will appear on this weekend's episode of After the Paracast for Paracast Plus subscribers. But I would suspect here, Michael, that of the cases you listed and of the work you've done, there are probably other cases you didn't have time or space to include. Sure, there's uh, 302 binders and counting, so there's enough material here to go to the next ice age. Well, yeah, right now we've got global warming, so the next ice age may be 10,000 years away. Yeah, I think we can make it. I think we can make it. <laughs> now, you never cover things like abductions. Is that something you'd look into in the future? Maybe in the future, I'm open to it, but I just like to focus on the hardware. I'm totally nuts and bolts all the way. Do you have a personal opinion about abductions? The only thing I'll say is I'm a little bit skeptical because in a number of, I'm not saying all of them, but in a number sure. of abduction cases, the information was procured through hypnosis. So that's all I'll say there. Not saying it's not true, but I'm just saying that in a lot of the cases, the information was pulled through hypnosis. Well, certainly that's one reason why I've been skeptical of it, and I'm sure Tim is too, and this is a position we've taken here at the Paracast. We're not dismissing UFO abductions in general because there are people who just remember the encounters. But as soon as hypnotic regression enters the picture, you've got to worry about it. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the way I feel too. I'm not discounting it. I'm just saying I guess it would require a little bit more physical evidence but that's what we need in all this case in all these cases we need the more physical evidence to move this field forward we just can't have lights in the sky sightings endlessly here we, we need to move forward we're done playing games with this uh it's time that the field of ufology take on a completely different tack and we we need this physical evidence we need the gun camera footage the 8x10 glossy whites we need the uh, motion picture film reels that's what it's going to take to move this forward do you think the new government investigations will bear any fruit? Or will it be, as Kevin Randall says, Condon 2.0? <laughs> I don't think it's going to go anywhere. No, they're just going to play this out as long as they can. They have no incentive to release the information. It just would open up a can of worms. You've got lawsuits. You've got religious implications. You've got the utilities, the power utilities. I don't see an incentive for them to start dislodging information. 
Also, you wonder about cases like UFO contactees where they claim that ET is here to save us from ourselves. And then all you have to do is look at a map of Ukraine and some of the pictures of the devastations going on there. And all you have to say is ET, if you give a wit about what's happening to this planet, where are you? That's right. Yeah, I know it's crickets. I feel the same way. What got you started on all this? Uh, I started getting involved in this at a very young age, like six years old. My dad used to take me something called Victory Air Museum in Mundelein, Illinois. This is on the outskirts suburbs of Chicago. And what they had here were a number of World War II warbirds, and they were just parked out in an empty field like they were disrepair. They were dilapidated. They were left for dead, stranded. It, it just had this ghostly appeal because the paint was oxidized. The paint was chipped. There was broken things within the windshield. There was uh, animals living inside. It had weeds growing up in the, the wheel wells. And it just had this ghostly appearance and this strange aura about it that attracted me to it. That's what started my love of aviation. And then going to Oshkosh, which is the biggest air show in the world for about 27 years at a time, it just continued to inspire me to go down this road of aviation research. And then the aircraft and then the UFOs kind of bled together. And that's kind of how it started for me. Have you ever seen a UFO? I can't technically claim I have. Nope, I haven't. Nothing like what we've talked about here. Well, I can tell you I haven't either. Nope. Nothing like that. You, Tim? No, with the exception of uh, one very bright red light in the sky one time, that, and that could have been anything. Well, and you're, you're a pilot too, aren't you, uh, uh, Mike? Correct. Private pilot, glider and power rating. Do you hope that, uh, you know, maybe someday when you're up that uh, you may actually see something when you're flying around? For me, that would be like, uh, no, I want to be on the ground if I see something weird. I'd like to see it, but I'd like to get the physical evidence that I could prove that it did occur. You know, like 8 by 10 glossies or real motion picture film reels. Multiple people have gone after this. Larry Bryant is the only one who truly went after it, but he was going after the 1957 Edwards Air Force Base film that Gordon Cooper was involved in. This gentleman actually filed a FOIA request, followed up on it, tried to get the actual film to no avail. So that's never been seen. Do you have a website or any place people can check out your work? They can check it out on YouTube, and the name of the channel is called Blue Room Media. Blue Room Media on YouTube. That's right. That's right. And right now your book's available on Amazon, all on the usual Amazon. offenders. And Correct. this is a somewhat different book than the one that we see in prototype form. We'll get into more discussion with Michael on After the Powercast. You can find us on Twitter if you look for the Powercast. Look for the Powercast on Facebook. And like Tim's site, conspiracyjournal.com, theparacast.com can't be posted on Facebook. Although we mention the show and we provide the links to episodes as they're carried on Apple Podcasts or some of the other places. So weird, so weird, isn't it? Also, we offer branded merchandise at theparacast.shop, theparacast.shop. We have four logos. We have all the good T-shirts and other merchandise, really, really high quality. And you want to check that out, theparacast.shop. Also, check out the Paracast Plus at theparacast.plus. 
It's a subscription package that includes the exclusive After the Paracast podcast and this show free of the network ads, all for a low subscription price. And we've just recently added new payment methods. So if it's not PayPal you want, just a regular credit or debit card, or even Apple Pay or Google Pay. All right? We also offer a 20% discount if you use the coupon code UFO20, UFO20, to save 20% on five-year or lifetime subscriptions, theparacast.plus. Michael Schratt, thank you for joining us on The Paracast. No problem. Great to be with you. Featuring Gene Steinberg is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.